0: I would like to say, uh, you know, out of all of our big family of athletes, I was one of the most athletics, but we come from a long line of athletes. Dad, right, played for the uni- football for the University of Louisville. Mm-hmm. He was uh, uh, like three or four year starter at cornerback mm-hmm. and uh, senior captain as well. Um, and then, you know, Uncle Charles originally went to University of Arizona for football. And so I think we have a lot of kind of athletes and that idea of being, uh, athletes is kind of rooted in our family, but also is the idea, and maybe this comes from how our parents and the generation above us was raised was the idea that like that student part comes first. Still in our family, you are the most, uh, uh decorated most right (laughs) official athlete being a two sport NCAA college athlete how are you I'm curious because you were right uh I know when I was at Morehouse we called it like I was psychology pre-health professions Mm -hmm. When you're at Spelman, what was were you like pre-med? Like yeah, biology, I was pre-med biology
1: pre-med. Well, honestly, I was I was undecided pre-med cuz I didn't want to be defined and put into a box. So I didn't decide biology <laughs> until literally I was they were like we don't know what to print on your um degree. So I was like, okay, I guess it's Go biology. Ahead. But yes, I was biology um essentially and biology pre-med.
0: How was is- That's like a heavy load, right? I know a lot of flack that student athletes or college athletes get is like they're not really going to school or or doing school while they're playing sports. How are you able to kind of balance both?
1: Yeah. And again, you know, I didn't go to a D1 school, so I don't know what, you know, like their um, schedules and commitment to sports and practice and all that is. I imagine it's very high at Spelman, you know, um, the the for me at least the scholarship came first because I was trying to go to med school. Um, so for me, mm. it was when we were traveling and stuff like that, I'd always bring my work on the bus or whatever, I'd always study. Um, so I was trying to manage both things and still have this kind of collegiate experience um on the court and on the green or whatever. Um, but for me, it wasn't a question. If I felt like the sports interfered with my ability to do well in school, then I probably would have had to make a really hard decision and and leave sports behind. But for other athletes that they're either getting a scholarship or, you know, they don't have that option, um, I'm, I'm sure it's really, really tough to think about how do you balance both things and still graduate with a degree, right? Because that's one thing mom always says is, like, people – come to school, play sports, and then leave, you know, after four or five years even, and have nothing to really show for it. They're not in the NFL or NBA or whatever other kind of professional league, and that they don't have a college degree. Welcome back, listeners. In today's episode, we are going to talk about student athletes. Let's just jump in.
0: So, Nia, let's talk about student-athletes. I'd love to hear about your experience as a student-athlete. Dun-dun-dun! At
1: a Division three school. Okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> um, everybody knows that I went to Spelman College. Um, it's, mm. it's interesting because at the time, when I graduated from high school, I was... Um, a person who loved volleyball. Like I still to this day, love, love, love it. And I think at the time, Spumman was getting a new coach and um, I didn't like the coach. And for tryouts, this was terrible. I remember this to this day, it was so embarrassing. The coach was really hard on us and not in a way that I felt like promoted learning, but more in a way that I felt like was belittling and humiliating, and I didn't think really she knew what she was doing. I thought she played basketball and knew how to um, coach in basketball, but not a good volleyball player. I was like, just because you're tall doesn't mean you're a volleyball player. And so there was one thing that she had us do, like run laps or do something before the tryouts or maybe during the tryouts, I don't know. But I just like disagreed with it, and I like disagreed with her fundamentally. And so I was just like, fuck you, I'm out. And on my way out, I will never forget it. I was so mad. I was like, I'm not doing this. Fuck you. I'm done. Like whatever. On my way out, I tripped. Okay. In front of everybody. And I was like, Oh wow. Oh wow. Like I'm like, fuck you coach. And then tripped. And then it's like, okay, there you go. So, um, my first few years at Spelman, I didn't play volleyball, which was really painful for me because I loved, love, love, love volleyball. But I was like, as long as that coach coaches, I will never ever play again. Um, which was sad, but um Spellman, Spellman at the time was trying to move up to a different division and so was adding sports. Because I think you need more sports to be able to, to to move up. And so they added golf at the time, and one of my best friends was like, Let's join the golf team. I was like, Girl, I don't play golf. And she's like, It's okay, they just need they just need warm bodies. <laughs> so I joined the golf team. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, T.O. is always like, my uh, my niece played collegiate golf. Nobody knows that I didn't know what I was doing. So I learned, I learned in quotes, how to play golf. It was the most humbling experience you could ever, ever imagine <laughs> playing golf at the collegiate level, having never played in tournaments, literally, where you're swinging at the ball <laughs> like three or four times. <laughs> And missing and missing. <laughs> and for our listeners that don't know, you're not supposed to swing multiple times at the, at the ball. Like you get a worse score. So that was the most humbling experience. But I got a varsity letter for that shitastic performance. And then eventually, the coach for volleyball left. So I was actually able to play um, volleyball at Spelman, which was awesome. And, you know, I think my honestly, my college, my high school team could have beat Spelman, my collegiate team. But um, it was a, it was a great, great, great experience for me and uh, meeting other people and trying to get some physical activity. Um, but certainly not at the level of like a Big Ten type of school or anything like that. What about you, Boogie
0: you know uh one thing that you said when you were sharing your experience as a you know college uh student athlete that really stuck out to me was when you weren't playing volleyball and how much you missed it and how much it meant for you to be back there i think for me in my journey as a student athlete in college right i didn't choose to play football which was my main sport coming out of high school out of Fear. I just didn't think you could be queer and play sports. And then I remember my freshman year just missing sports so much that uh, I knew I was going to transfer to Ohio State. And I was like, I have got to I have got to get back in the sports. And I remember seeing Ohio State rugby on TV, and I was like, I knew I wasn't in the football shape that I once was, as if rugby shape would somehow be less. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, But uh, so I decided, you know, uh, I'm going to go out for uh, rugby at Ohio State. So I played. Division one rugby, and let me tell you, I align with some of your experiences because these were I was playing against kids that played rugby their whole life, and I didn't understand the rules of the game. I would get <laughs> uh, yeah, I would get yellow carded at least once a game, every game because I would be doing these penalties. I remember I I realized there was no blocking. I was like, oh, I can't block for my <laughs> ball runner. It, it was it was wild. But i I also connect with that feeling of camaraderie, uh, the social aspect, right? And then though we were Division one, that was by like the American Rugby League, and we would play against teams like Army, Rutgers, Delaware. you went to some of my games. I and stuff. did
1: um, mm. Army. <laughs> I think it <laughs> yeah, was an Army were... or Navy you played against <laughs> that I was there because I was mm. anyway. We, we yeah, won't go but
0: there. We, we played against both Army and Navy. You were at the Navy I'm, game. I remember. <laughs> and you were mad. I met. was
1: pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Sorry.
0: <laughs> um, but I, that was an experience I really enjoyed. But one thing that I remember is, like, practices were hell. And they were super long. And when we weren't in season uh we were still doing you know training and stuff and so uh but i did enjoy uh my my time i just
1: i want to say one thing i want to say like i don't think our listeners might may, may not be able to fully appreciate how big of a deal it was when you went from high school to college and decided to not play football i think when you decided that you know i think at the time i didn't know you were gay and I was blown because for our listeners, like, Nevin played ball. Like, he was celebrated in high school. Like, he killed it. And it was, I mean, he was being recruited and all of of those things. And so when he decided that, A, he was going to Morehouse, I was like, what? And, B, that he wasn't going to play football I was like, this is a huge decision. Like, I, I I was shocked that you decided not to play. And I didn't know what that was rooted in. I know at least for high school, when um, a lot of my uh, colleagues in high school that went from high school to college who played volleyball chose not to play. and And they chose it because they were so burnt out. Like, our volleyball team in high school was probably like a division two college. Like it was very good. It was rigorous. You had to train a lot. It was a lot of commitment. And so they were burnt out. And so I assumed that it was, maybe you were feeling burnt out, but I was shocked that you decided not to play in college. And so Um, When later you said it was because you were gay and you didn't know that the two, you know, that you felt like you could, it couldn't occupy the same space. This is a podcast for another day because I think that's important to address that too. Um, It was interesting. It was kind of a a learning experience for me. Like, wow, that these narratives, um, you know, that one, you know, the identities can't be one in the same or overlapping in any way. Um, And I shout out to you as well for doing the MTV coming out, um, for, to your rugby team, which again, we'll have to talk about in another podcast, but you showed the world that, you know, you can be an athlete and also hold multiple other identities. So I just wanted to give a shout out to you before we moved on. There you go. Oh,
0: my sweet sister. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I think for me and in, in thinking about, what you're saying and to me how it really connects to this podcast is like that identity as right athlete is hard to tease out especially when you've grown up doing it your whole life and when you make plans about doing it in the future and so um you know us being labeled or being labeled as a student athlete I I found both identities to be very important where it would be for me at heart it, it it was hard for me to tease out one from another, which like I I I was more of. I would definitely say I enjoyed more of one, uh, that being athlete. But I'm curious, do you know where the term student athlete comes from?
1: I just assumed it was like a descriptive term. Like I didn't know that it was rooted in anything. <laughs> right. And I'm sure you're gonna school me. I'm sure you're gonna school me, so
0: no, you know, and in, in doing some research for this episode and talking about specifically uh, college athletes and pay, right? The idea of student athlete comes up and we kind of talked about this a little bit about juggling both um, and having to be in both worlds and our commitment to both. But the term student athletes, to me, this is was so fascinating, is actually rooted in specific legal calculations, so let me break this down. Student athlete was uh, a term coined by Walter Byers, who at the time was an NCAA uh, first executive director. This was during the 1950s, and it actually helped the NCAA, the NCAA to fight against worker men's compensation insurance claims for injured football players. So I'm going to go a little bit back. Um, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go somewhere and then I'm going to come back to that. So, but the word didn't really start gaining popularity um, as a term that we call, right, our college athletes, student athletes, until the 1990s where in a court testimony during Byer's long tenure, he basically said that the student athlete term was intended to try to offset some tendencies for state and agencies or other governments to consider these athletes uh, grant and aid holders. So kind of to detract from the i like what these student athletes were and to not be seen as employees so soon after that kind of court testimony student athletes started to become embedded in a bunch of ncaa roles and interpretations of who these people are and what their identities mean um so if we are to rewind, right? As I said, like let's go back to the 1950s and really get a better understanding of where student-athlete as a term uh, started to be calculated um, through the idea of legality and uh, was a legal calculation. So uh, student-athlete uh, first surfaced in 19, the 1950s when the widow of a football player by the name of Bray Dennison, Died from a head energy injury while playing football in Colorado for the Fort Lewis AM Aggies. So, uh, Dennison's wife filed for workman's compensation uh, and death benefits. So, the Colorado Supreme Court agreed with the defendant, the NCAA, that Dennison's widow was actually not eligible for benefits because the college was, and I quote, not in the football business. So because they're saying, like, this college, they're not in the business of football, there is no kind of worker's benefits that could come from that. And so, Nia, I know you're right now, you're you're my main go-to when it comes for the knowledge about business <laughs> as you're getting your MBA. MBA. Yeah, so I'm I- just <laughs> curious about your your reactions to that, and would you consider college sports as we see them today? as a business.
1: First of all, my reaction is that is so fucked up. Of course the court would be on the side of like big business who says they're not a a business. It's wild. Um, But you know, I don't know what the landscape looked like in the nineties. I would imagine it's not, or sorry, what was in the fifties, right? In the fifties that it was at the same level as it is today with respect to um, the fanfare and the fame and all of that, that comes with Being um, an athlete, a student athlete at such a high level, but I would imagine, right, like there was some there 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 was some money being made in the fifties when students played for their college teams. Maybe they weren't bringing in millions, billions, whatever of dollars, but they were probably bringing in money. They bring in fans, right, to the games um, and support the school in that way. So I think it would be hard. Maybe it wasn't their main business, but like everybody has side hustles. You and I have side hustles, right? Um, So (laughs) the university had a side hustle of using football, sports, whatever, to supplement all of the things that the university does, right? And maybe even more. So I think it would be hard for me to really buy that they, um, you know, didn't certainly make a profit off of this. Even if it wasn't their main business, they were definitely in the football business. So it's shocking, but not, I suppose.
0: Yeah, the idea of uh, capitalism, big uh, using big business supporting uh, big business in China. This I loved how you use like side hustle. Like uh, you know, this might not be our main source of of income or money, but we're definitely getting some profit from it. And right? right. And I think that brings also in the idea that you kind of talked about, like different schools are bringing in different kind of money and different programs. Um, so uh, one of the reasons that. Right, arguments around should we even pay college athletes in the first place was especially at least the argument from the NCAA side was that they were trying to preserve uh, amateurism. And so they for a long time prohibited athletes from accepting any outside money. Um, so the amateurism is around the idea that the concepts that college athletes are not professionals and therefore they do not Um, need to be compensated. Um, They believe, the NCAA believed that providing scholarships and stipends were kind of sufficient. Um, But, and recently, quite recently, this has kind of changed. Mm. Um, Specifically, in the beginning of July 2021, division athletes started to have no major restrictions on how uh, they could be compensated specifically for their NIL, uh, which is a term that folks might start to see used a lot, which NIL stands for uh, name, image, or likeness. Mm. Um, so in the past, college athletes could be suspended or lose eligibility if they violated those rules. So which is so crazy. Listeners- it
1: seems like a, like a method of control, right? Especially when we know about um, black and brown folks, right, that- I know you'll get to this I'm sure is like barely able to pay for food some some of them playing college sports but they can't use their own image and likeness it just seems like a, a method of oppression and control to me what do you think
0: speak on it oppression <laughs> and control you telling me I can't get paid off of my own name right come on now image. Or likeness. Come on now.
1: Like come on now. Like you better the- preach. Where they do that at? You can't you I can't what, use my what? own image. What?
0: Nah. Right? And our listeners might remember uh, for a long time, this is for our listeners who are gamers, I'm sure they're out there. There was a football game called the NCAA football where it had the number – it didn't have the names of these folks on the back of their jerseys, but it had the numbers that corresponded with the numbers of the players and their stats. It would even have their hometowns, which is wild Mm. if you go and look them up, right? And so they ended up having to pull the game because people were like – and there was a major lawsuit because they're like, yo, y'all are profiting off of our name, image, and likeness. So these were one of the things that we started to see um, some change. Some other reasons, a big reason why we start to see in changes. Uh, back in 2019, California passed a law called the Fair Pay to Play Act. Mm. And so kind of within this act um, was brought on by a lawsuit by Ed O'Bannon, uh, which this was a lawsuit uh, that started in the early 2010s that really prevented the organization, the NCAA, from licensing the likeness of its athletes for commercial purposes. And so in 2019 in California, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom signed this bill into law, the Fair Pay to Play Act, uh, on, the, on the side of LeBron James, shout out to Ohio, <laughs> that made it illegal f- for state schools specifically to uh, prohibit athletes from making money off their name, image, and likeness. So uh, that's when we first start to see like some big change, at least on the state level regarding like (laughs) uh, more equity to uh, oppression. However, um, you know, this wasn't, it was still only uh, by state. But but why do you
1: think this like even came to be like, you know, since, the NCAA has been dealing with this since like even before the fifties, it sounds like why now, or why like around now, um, has it got more attention? Do you think?
0: Yeah, I would say there are a number of reasons, probably, um, a couple are, you know, protests from players. Um, I think people being uh, more aware, I think a change in public rhetoric uh, around should we pay uh, college athletes and the work they've done. But I let me give you an idea uh, of also why when folks like this idea that a university would say we are not in the business of football. Okay, so in 2017, the top 10 college football coach salaries were Nick Saban, $11.1 million. Debo Sweeney, $8.5 million, who's for Clemson. Jim Harbaugh from Michigan, Your <laughs> one of your many alma maters, $7 million. And uh, oh, oh, gosh. I'm going to edit that out. And then go Ohio State, Urban Meyer, $6.4 million. So they're paying just coaches that amount of money. And if you want to just think about athletic department revenue, Texas A&M, between 2015 and 2016, was making around $200 million from their athletic department. Ohio State was making around $170 million. So to say, right, that these college sports and things wasn't a a business, meanwhile, right, athletes are literally being punished for selling their items or paraphernalia or their autographs when sometimes they're just trying to make ends meet. Like you could see the kind of unfairness in the system that I think we're getting called out a lot. Yeah. I would love to say it was just the benevolent of the NCAA, but no, I would say it was the lawsuits that they were facing.
1: I'm also thinking about, isn't there like a movie or, um, about, players that have protested playing in a championship like they um i think it's called like national champions it was following like a college team that um decided to strike before their national championship game i haven't seen it but i wonder if it you know is because of the same sort of things that we're talking about today
0: yeah i think that uh Definitely could be. Um, and, you know, it's it really has been led by a state-by-state state basis, which really um, drew the kind of NCAA to react because as states are changing their own NIL laws, their name, image, and likeness, that means that they can, right, different players might be more uh, influenced or want to go to those kind of states where they know that they can profit because the truth be told is the max amount of money uh, a college athlete can make off their name, image, or likeness in the life their lifespan is the most in college, right? So we know that not all these athletes go professional, um, not all those athletes play at the next level. So this, so college is really an opportunity for them to gain honestly, the most money. And so I wanted to share a little bit about um, how these new policies um, on the state level, which are now will be a national level, um, kind of work. So basically, essentially, athletes are allowed to make money off their own kind of celebrity uh, and growth so they can do sponsored social media posts or advertisements, sponsored videos on Twitter, YouTube. Uh, they can provide like, right, this is the uh, Nia Hurd Garris Volleyball Camp. And so they can hey. get money off of kind of using their name that way. Right. It sounds good. I'd go. I want to go.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that.
0: Yeah. Let me get a registration fee discount, girl. Uh, let me. I'm going to need. I know <laughs> it's going to be expensive. Um, they can also make money <laughs> off their autograph or merchandise sales. Yeah. Um, so, yeah,,
1: um, so I I think this is great. Again, like I said, I know that there are some college st- student athletes that have come from very modest um, beginnings and find themselves in a situation where they are earning millions for the institutions and are struggling to eat and struggling to have somewhere to to lay their head and struggling. To help support their families. So I think that this is really, really big. I do worry about some of the predatory aspects here. Like I've definitely now seen, you know, um, student athletes selling cars and like more, more hustle and power to them. But I'm imagining that they don't have proper representation when they're signing contracts to do these deals too. So I think they're overall, I'm happy that they're able to use their own image and likeness. I wonder what the unintended consequences are of this ruling, um, especially again from for people that um, really really need the money, right? And what that may mean for them: are they signing away their image and likeness forever? Do they have lawyers kind of looking at these mm-hmm. contracts, or uh, you know, like I just wonder what that means. So thinking about the flip side of it, but so tell me a little bit about what doesn't change for this ruling. Well-
0: Yeah, I definitely will. Real quick about what you said, because I really do appreciate that, because one of the big ways that the NCAA kept uh, college athletes as amateurs was by not allowing them to hire agents. So a change was that... uh, student-athletes can hire agents, but I think, right, exactly what you talked about, folks with more means are going to be able to have lawyers or people they trust to hire a good agent in the first place rather than a predatory agent. Um, mm-hmm. th- that that could definitely happen. So I appreciate you bringing up that even though that part might have changed, there's still some aspects in it that might really promote some inequity. Um, but as far as some things mm. that hasn't changed. So athletes will not be allowed to receive payments or certain kickbacks for choosing a specific program, right? So uh, the idea that they can use their name, image, and likeness is specifically like as kind of a third party deal. So a lot of people were hesitant or worried that bigger programs, right, could offer these student athletes more money, and therefore they would end up choosing that school. But, At least Mm -hmm. at least on the very basis of directly receiving money from school, they're not allowed to. And they're also not allowed to use like Mm -hmm. school logos or something uh within kind of their own name and image and likeness. So uh if you were you know, trying to get some money, you couldn't wear a Spelman jersey or have a Jaguar. I believe y'all are the Jaguars, Jaguar on it. Yeah, right. but maybe you would just wear a uh, right, light blue. I'm sure y'all have a very specific name color for the blue that y'all are, but you could just wear something that's vague, but it would be your name, right, your image or your likeness that has to draw on people. You can't also use the college logo.
1: Isn't that funny how that works, though? <laughs> they could They could have used my image, Ooh. though, Ooh. right? They could have used it. my image, but I can't use theirs to make a little money. Ooh. To secure the bag Oop. really Oop.
0: okay Oop. then Oop. they okay. sell it they sell in jerseys with your number on it knowing that people are buying it to be uh heard heard gear stands but they won't yeah yeah um, that's the t that's the t-sis literally uh but you know some of these stipulations are on a school by school basis for example they bring up that if your school right has a like deal with nike but Adidas or someone else, Under Armour offers you a specific deal that you might be able to take it. And so but that those kind of things are on a case by case basis. Um, hmm. So. So, yeah.
1: Tell me a little bit about why it's been why it's taken so long to have this change. Yeah.
0: So I, I think you basically hit the nail on the head earlier on today, right? When you, uh, in the episode, when you talked about, you know, big business and it goes back to capitalism, right? They, they make a money off you this know, free Lord. labor, right? They make it money. <laughs> why off, pay? Why pay? Why pay? Why pay when you can get the milk for free, right? Why buy a cow when you get the milk for free? Mm-hmm. So basically, um, uh, capitalism is Always, the, Money is always the answer usually with it in these. And so <laughs> the NCAA specifically used their uh, definition of amateurism, which they stated is someone who does not have a written or verbal agreement with an agent or has not profited above their actual and necessary expenses or gained a competitive advantage in their sport. Um, they use that to kind of say, hey, uh, we need to maintain amateurism. Uh, But many have argued that the NCAA's definition of amateurism has changed so that it can align with what they need it to mean with any moment. Um, But ultimately, it comes back to uh, capitalism is why it took so long for it to change. And so and we kind of talked about why it did change, which is good.
1: Yeah. And I think um, I've always said this even before even before all these changes had talked about to me. And I feel this way somewhat on the professional um, stage as well. Um, But obviously it's not the same level. I feel like this was like, is a modern day slavery, you know? Like it's the same sort of idea of you're going to, you, many black and brown, not all, obviously, but you black person are going to work for me for free. You are going to build my wealth and and my profits and you're not going to see a dime of it. And not only that, like, we are going to continue to churn through you and use, you know, have like this revolving door of like factoryism, um, and don't care like what happens to you after the head injuries. We don't care if you get a degree. We don't care what your career prospects are. But we want you to work with for us for free, and, and you know, and then if it doesn't work out for you, that's too bad. We don't care. Um, so to me, it's very similar in the same sort of methods of control and. Uh, labor and all of the, the, the things that this country honestly was founded on. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but uh, I've always had problems with that.
0: You know, Nia, I'm reminded of that scene from White Chicks where they go, well, you said it. Well, you were thinking it uh, because I definitely was thinking that the whole time, like uh, modern day slavery, the, all this free labor. And I, I think when we talk about slavery, we oftentimes think about race. And well, guess what? Racism is at, at, at foot here. We talked about some of the reasons why th- these rulings have existed and come through and some of the things that enacted change. And one of the big things that helps to influence people is just public opinion. And so uh, racism in the form of public opinion and paying college athletes uh, have definitely been at play. So a 27, a 2017 study by Walston, Netta, McCarthy, and Tarsi actually, actually examined whether racial resentment primarily measures anti-Black prejudice or ide- ideological conservatism. So they're trying to write, think about if, uh, if racial resentment um, is connected to anti-black prejudice or if it's just about ideological conservatism. So what they did specifically was they used the idea for pay for play within college athletes as the kind of determining factor the reason why they use pay for playing college athletes because it has no would get no money federally and so um it speaks to the idea of um well if people are conservative about money or spending it it shouldn't really come up however what might come up is this idea of anti-black prejudice so essentially what they found is that um In the role of examining racial resentment um, and shaping white opinion on racialized policies, such as, right, pay for play in college, uh, they found that, uh, that, yes, racial resentment was present. And basically, uh, whites with resentment uh, did not favor pay for play when it was a black college athlete, when they were primed around African American college athletes. Um, And so, this is also one thing that I thought about. And another study that was done connected that the support um, and public opinion around paying college athletes decreased when they were more um, depictions of uh, college athletes in different um, sports protesting uh, things like the national anthem and things. So we do see a connection between the two with racism and also uh, paying college athletes.
1: So you're saying the, the um, support for whether college athletes should be paid or not, is rooted in not only, you're saying racism, but also is it the resentment of players, especially, I guess, specifically Black players, getting... What, money, you know, being successful. Yes, like,
0: yes, all of it, all of it. Yes, yeah. absolutely, all wow. of it. Right. So we can't, we can't win for winning because we be out here trying to win on their their courts and fields. Right. And all so that.
1: they say, so. you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and when you're actually trying to pull yourself up, they're you know stepping on your neck still.
0: Still, still, girl. Still. still.
1: Okay, got it.
0: So Nia. We've come to the end. Uh, my athletic sister, <laughs> what do you think about paying college athletes? Are you uh, do you think this is promising where we go in the future? Do you still have do you have any concerns? Are you worried about it? What do you think about the future of paying a college athletes?
1: <sighs> yeah, I have mixed emotions, like largely, like I said earlier, I think. Um, people should be paid for the work that they've done. I think in college, it becomes a little difficult in sorting that out um, because the previous models for being paid in college while working at the college tends to be like work-study models and financial aid. So my fear is that um, the colleges will use this idea of paying for play to decrease aid to decrease like scholarships, mm. financial support to these these athletes. Kind of like how tipping works, right? So tipping in a lot of industries, mm. they their base pay is lower because they're like, oh well you're gonna bring in tips. So they're allowed to like from a mm. minimum wage standpoint, pay people lower because they're like, you're gonna make it up. And so I, I worry what this mm. may mean. I mean hopefully You know, it doesn't change the landscapes and students that are um, from a variety of different backgrounds will still get scholarships to play sports and it not be reliant or dependent on getting this outside income. Um, Because, I mean, obviously that you have to be super good. People have to be interested in paying you, like all of those things. So I I worry about the unintended consequences and, and would have to think through that a little bit more. But largely, I do think people should be paid for the work that they do. Um, but
0: what about you? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Gosh, you are so awesome and insightful. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I think, you know, one of my uh, biggest things that just from what I've seen already is I, I I think this is promising. Obviously, there needs to be more here uh, and protections, but I mostly appreciate it for what I think I might do specifically for uh 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 women athletes uh and especially of color so there's already a number of athletes college athletes that are getting endorsements based off their name image or likeness and and several of them are women so Gatorade uh their first paid college athlete that they sponsored is actually a woman uh the Yukon basketball star Paige Bukers right and so i i think it's exciting for what it can do for equity especially for uh people really being Empowered to kind of not view like this it, entity or institution as the only way, as their slave master, right? They're the way that they're holding them back from getting money. So, as I say, uh, get your coin, and while you're at it, you know what you can do?
1: What day?